0: Stanford University. As an obstetrician, I need to know a good deal about the anatomy of the female pelvis. Dr. Snell is going to review a few aspects of female pelvic anatomy with you. First of all, I'd like to consider the bony pelvis, and we're going to look at the female bony pelvis from above. I'm going to put in here, at the posterior region here, the spine of the first sacral vertebra. I'm going to indicate here the lamina on either side and the sacral canal and I'm going to indicate here the upper surface of the body of the first sacral vertebra. I can show here the lateral mass of the sacrum on either side and on either side of that I'm going to show the iliac crests coming round ending in front at the anterior superior iliac spine, and on this side, in the same manner, extending far forward to the anterior superior iliac spine. Now we can trace the uh, ilium downwards to the region of the iliopubic eminence, and indicate here the margin of the acetabulum on either side, and then show the uh, margin of the acetabular fossa, and then continue downwards here into the ischium with the ischial tuberosities and then show the wide pubic arch which is so characteristic of the female pelvis, indicating here the symphysis pubis, this cartilaginous joint which becomes loosened up during the later stages of pregnancy, and then coming back into the back part of the pelvis, show the anterior surface of the sacrum, articulating below with the coccyx, which is four small vertebral bodies fused together, and then showing on the anterior surface of the sacrum the anterior sacral foramina, of which there are four, so that we're now in a position to show the brim of the pelvis, or the inlet of the pelvis, formed in front, uh, rather behind, by the anterior superior margin of the first sacral vertebra which is referred to as the promontory and then extending this laterally we follow round what is known as the iliopectoneal line and then come on to the upper border of the body of the pubic bone. So this ovoid represents the inlet into the true pelvis. So this part up here is the false pelvis i just go through this again because it's such a very important area, the promontory of the sacrum, which is the anterior superior border of the first sacral vertebra, and there we have the iliopectoneal line on either side coming round on the inner aspect of the ilium and then coming onto the superior uh, surface of the body of the pubis. Now, putting in a little more detail in the front here, we can indicate the superior ramus of the pubis and uh, show here the uh, obturator foramina on either side, and on the upper border of the body of the pubis, we can show the pubic tubercle here and here, and show the pubic crest. So that the female pelvis, then, it can be said to be made up of the following bones: the sacrum and coccyx behind, and the innominate bones on either side. One of the important things that we have to uh, realize is that the female pelvis is very well adapted to the passage of the fetal head during parturition. The inlet of the female pelvis is wide, the sacrum is relatively shallow and is relatively flattened, the pubic arch is wide and the ischial tuberosities on either side tend to be separated and somewhat everted. The spines of the ischium we can only just make out are on the inner side in that manner. So this is the inlet of the pelvis and is the line which separates the false pelvis, which is this part up here, from the true pelvis, which is down inside in front of the sacrum and behind the symphysis pubis. In the previous diagram, we looked at the female pelvis from above and we defined the inlet to the pelvis. We also clearly defined the difference between the false pelvis, which which is situated above the inlet, and the true pelvis, which lies below the inlet. Now I'm going to draw the pelvis from the inner side, showing the four bones that make up the pelvis, namely the sacrum and the coccyx behind, and, of course, only on the one side, the enominate bone. Now, I'm going to put in here the iliac crest ending in front at the anterior superior iliac spine, and then extending this backwards. Then I'm going to go down from the anterior superior iliac spine down to the anterior inferior iliac spine, and then extend this downwards to the iliopubic eminence. Now we'll go forward to the region of the superior ramus of the pubis, just indicating the pubic tubercle in that spot, and then going along the pubic crest to the region of the symphysis pubis. Uh, But but beyond the symphysis pubis, we come down as the pubic arch. In other words, this is the inferior ramus of the pubis, articulating and forming a continuous bone with the ramus of the ischium, so that here is the region of the ischial tuberosity. Now we'll come up with the ischial tuberosity to the lesser sciatic notch and put in here the spine of the ischium. And then we go from the spine of the ischium up here, the greater sciatic notch coming down to the region where it's articulating with the sacrum. Now coming back to the front part here I'll indicate the position of the obturator uh, foramen and also indicate this important pelvic brim, which extends from the symphysis pubis in front along the upper surface of the superior ramus of the pubis as the pectineal line, and then extending back as the iliopectineal line towards uh, the sacrum. Now we're in a position to draw in the sacrum here and the coccyx below. First of all, let us indicate the upper surface of the body of the first sacral vertebra. So this important point here is the promontory of the sacrum. Then we'll extend this line downwards to indicate the anterior surface of the sacrum, bearing in mind that the sacrum really, in fact, consists of five fused uh, sacral vertebrae. And we'll just indicate the position where Uh, the vertebral bodies fused, one, two, three, four, and a fifth down below. Behind, in this region, we got the articular process of the first sacral vertebra, and here we can indicate the fused uh, sacral spines, uh, which form the sacral crest. So this area here is, in fact, the sacral canal, and note that in this region here, the laminae of the fifth and possibly the fourth sacral vertebrae are not fused, so that we have an interesting hiatus here, which is the sacral hiatus, into which a needle can be introduced for, uh, to perform a uh, caudal anesthesia uh, in this region. Now below here we put in the coccyx, which is really a fusion of four coccygeal vertebrae. Now we can bring down the lateral mass of the sacrum and indicate the positions of the anterior uh, sacral foramina. There are four. One, two, three, four. So then we can see now that the pelvis, when viewed from the inner surface, here is the true pelvis below this inlet, the iliopectineal line and behind the promontory of the sacrum and in front the symphysis pubis. Here is the false pelvis formed by the flared inner surface of the ilium. Now let us consider some important uh, landmarks. We've mentioned the inlet of the pelvis. Now the inlet of the pelvis extends from the promontory of the sacrum forward to the upper aspect of the symphysis pubis. So if I was to uh, indicate a dotted line across here, this line indicates the line of the inlet of the pelvis and below if I draw a line from the tip of the coccyx to the under aspect of the symphysis pubis uh, this line will represent the outlet of the pelvis so the true pelvis is the area here within the pelvic cavity between the inlet above and the outlet below. The outlet this diagonal line going across here extending from the tip of the coccyx forward to the lower margin of the symphysis pubis. Now if we take the midpoints of these lines and the midpoint here and we draw a curved line here, this indicates the axis of the pelvis. And by that I mean the path taken by the head of the fetus as it descends uh, through the pelvis. There's one other important line that I'll indicate which is used in clinical practice. It is called the diagonal conjugate. And this extends from the promontory of the sacrum above to the lower margin of the symphysis pubis uh, below. When doing a vaginal examination, it should not be possible to palpate the promontory of the sacrum with the index finger. If, in fact, you can, it means that the sacrum is further forward than normal and you can anticipate problems in delivery uh, in such a patient. The dimensions of this diagonal conjugate is approximately uh, 5 inches. So here you have the inlet, the outlet, the diagonal conjugate, and the axis of the pelvis. Here you have the true pelvis. So this is the region of the pelvic cavity and this area above the ciliopectoneal line is referred to as the false pelvis. The pelvis has the following joints associated with it. In front we have the cartilaginous joint, the symphysis pubis. At the back here we have the joint between the lateral mass of the sacrum and the auricular surface of the ilium, the sacroiliac joint, which is synovial and down here we have a joint between the coccyx and the uh, sacrum. It's a small cartilaginous joint with ligaments joining up the cornea of the sacrum to the cornea of the coccyx. Well now we should build up the walls of the true pelvis. We've seen uh, the, 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 the following bones form uh, the bony walls of the pelvis. And now let's see what other structures lie within the walls. Posteriorly, we have a very important ligament which is attached to the lateral mass of the sacrum and the coccyx and extends down to the tuberosity of the ischium and extends forwards onto the ramus of the ischium. This is the sacro ligament and we'll draw in its margin in this way and indicate the direction of the bundles of fibers. The sacro ligament. Situated on a plane anterior to the sacro ligament, we have the small triangular but nevertheless very strong ligament called the sacrospinous ligament. This is attached at the back to the lateral mass of the sacrum and the upper part of the coccyx and is attached by its apex to the spine of the ischium. Notice that it lies in front of the sacrotuberous tuberous ligament. You rub out the underlying sacrotuberous tuberous ligament. You can see from the direction of the fibres that both these ligaments play an important part in keeping the lower end of the sacrum and coccyx in its correct position because you've got to bear in mind that the weight of the body is directed downwards onto the sacrum and there's a tendency for the first sacral vertebra to sink into the pelvis and the lower end of the sacrum to protrude posteriorly. When you consider that you'll realize that these two ligaments the sacrospinous ligament and the sacrotuberous ligament keeps the lower end of the sacrum and coccyx Uh, in their correct position. Note that we have now converted the lesser sciatic notch into a foramen, the lesser sciatic foramen, and the greater sciatic notch into a foramen, the greater sciatic foramen. Now let us turn to this large foramen here called the obturator foramen. This, in life, is filled in by a membrane called the obturator membrane, which is attached to the margins of the obturator foramen, leaving a small aperture above here, called the obturator canal. Now, when we come to the lower part of the bony pelvis, we can put in position the lower layer of the urogenital diaphragm, which is made up by the perineal membrane. Now, the perineal membrane is attached to the inferior ramus of the pubis and to the ischial ramus, and are indicated in that manner. The upper layer of the urogenital diaphragm, which is formed by the pelvic fascia, I'll indicate in this manner. So here we have then the urogenital diaphragm, which is a structure which is situated in the perineum, formed below by the perineal membrane and above by pelvic fascia. Now let us put the muscles in which line the walls of the true pelvis. First of all, let us put in the obturator internus. Now, the obturator internus muscle arises from the inner surface of the obturator membrane and from the inner surface of the bony margins of the obturator foramen. And the tendon leaves the pelvis by passing out into the gluteal region through the lesser sciatic foramen. So let us now erase the structures that lie deep to the obturator internus, namely, the bony margins to the obturator foramen and the obturator membrane. Now this muscle, having passed out through the lesser sciatic foramen into the gluteal region is inserted into the Great dracanter, and when this muscle contracts, it is going to uh, laterally rotate uh, the femur at the hip joint. So here is then the obturator internus. And the fibers here uh, pass into a tendon which glides over the bone at that lesser sciatic foramen. Now if we pass to the uh, lower part here of the bony pelvis, we can put in musculature here that lies within the urogenital diaphragm. This space between these two membranes is called the deep perineal pouch and I've just indicated a layer of muscle here, uh, which I will describe in detail uh, later. Arising from the anterior surface of the sacrum, we have the piriformis muscle. And here we can show the upper margin of the piriformis passing out of the pelvis through uh, the upper part of the greater sciatic foramen. And here we'll show the lower margin of the piriformis coming out in that way. So that we can erase uh, parts of the sacro and sacro-spinous ligaments, and parts of the pelvis and sacrum, and indicate the direction of the fibers Coming off the front of the sacrum, in between the anterior sacral foramina and passing out in that way through the greater sciatic foramen into the gluteal region where it's attached to the greater trochanter of the femur and will be a lateral rotator uh, of the femur at the hip joint. Now below, in this region, we have a small muscle called the coccygeus and this really forms part of the posterior part of the floor of the pelvis. We'll put it in at this stage. The coccygeus is attached to the lower part of the sacrum and the upper part of the coccyx and lies immediately above and in front of this sacrospinous ligament and it passes forward to be attached to the tip of the spine of the ischium. So we'll erase the underlying Sacrospinous ligament. Lower margin of the coccygeus. You can see how that muscle, when it contracts, could pull forward uh, the coccyx. Well, now it must be appreciated that the inner surface of the pelvis is lined with fascia called parietal pelvic fascia. And this parietal pelvic fascia will be named according to the muscle which it lies upon. For example, in the region of the piriformis, it'll be called the piriformis fascia. In the region of the coccygeus, it'll be called the coccygeus fascia. In the region of the obturator internus, it'll be called the obturator internus fascia. So it's generally understood, then, that the whole of this area is covered with fascia. Covering the obturator internus is the obturator internus fascia. And this is particularly important because it is thickened along a line which extends from the back of the body of the pubis towards the ischial spine. And I'll indicate this thickening in this manner. Now it is from this line that a very important muscle arises called the levator ani. This muscle will pass downwards and backwards and together with the muscle of the opposite side will form a muscular floor to the pelvic cavity and it is the tone of this muscle which will resist the downward pressure uh, created by the contraction of the diaphragm and the abdominal musculature. It is the tone of this muscle which will support all the viscera which are lying within the pelvic cavity. And it is the shape of the gutter-like muscle Uh, which will determine the direction in which the head of the fetus will take when it descends through the pelvis. So let me just indicate the direction in which these fibers will take, the fibers of the beta ani. (coughs) The most anterior fibers will arise from the back of the body of the pubis in that sort of way and the intermediate fibers will come down in this direction and the posterior fibers will extend backwards in this direction. So let us just indicate the attachment along the obturator internus fascia and the anterior margin and show here the posterior fibers going backwards and then we'll cut off the edge in this sort of manner. Now we can erase the underlying obturator internus muscle with its covering fascia. Now, so this is the levator ani muscle forming the floor of the true pelvis and we're showing its cut margin in that manner. Now, if we go from this diagram to another diagram up here, we will look at the pelvis from below. I'll indicate the position of the symphysis pubis here, the superior ramus of the pubis on this side, the superior ramus of the pubis on this side, in that way, and then I'll indicate the outlet of the pelvis diagrammatically in this way and show the coccyx projecting forward. Now if we look in the midline, we have here the orifice of the anal canal, the anus, and in front of that we'll show a mass of fibrous tissue known as the perineal body and behind that a central fibrous mass known as the anococcygeal body. Well now we're in a position to look at the under-aspect of the levator ani. Now, the levator ani, as seen from the under-aspect, can be divided into a number of distinct sets of fibers. The anterior set of fibers are known as the sphincter vaginae or the uh, levator prostatae and these fibers extend backwards from the back of the body of the pubis and the front part of the obturator internus fascia in this sort of way, on either side. The levator prostatae or the sphincter vaginae. Here's the perineal body or central tendon of the perineum. Behind that, I'll put in another part of levator ani known as the puborectalis. And this extends backwards and serves as a sling which passes round the back of the junction of the anal canal and rectum. And this is very important clinically since it serves as part of the external sphincter of the anal canal, the puborectalis fibers of the levator ani. Note how the puborectalis fibers pass round the back of the anal canal at the junction of the rectum with the anal canal. And then we have another set of fibers known as the ileococcygeus. And these pass downwards and pass into the anococcygeal body and into the coccyx on either side. In that sort of way. Now if we just, for sake of completion, indicate a small muscle here is the coccygeus. So, you can see that the whole of the lower aspect of the pelvis is closed off by this diaphragm, if you like, pelvic diaphragm, or levator ani muscle, formed by the later ani on this side and the levator ani on that side coming together in the midline. Three sets of fibers, levator prostata in the male or the sphincter vaginae, the important puborectalis acting as a sling around the junction of the anal canal and the rectum, the iliococcygeus muscle coming back to the, uh, of the anal coccygeal body and the lower end of the coccyx, and just to complete the diaphragm behind the coccygeus. Notice this deficiency in front between the fibres of the levator prostatae or sphincter vaginae, and it is through this opening that the urogenital orifices are going to pass down from the pelvic cavity into the perineum. Well, now let me now go back to the original diagram and move up to the region of the false pelvis for a moment and put in the inguinal ligament. Now, you'll remember that the inguinal ligament is the rolled lower margin of the aponeurosis of the external oblique and it extends from the anterior superior iliac spine down to the pubic tubercle. And when it's attached to the pubic tubercle, it extends laterally on the pectineal line with a curved sharp margin known as the lacuna ligament and a small pectineal part of the inguinal ligament. Now we will bring down from the abdominal cavity the psoas muscle, which arises, you remember, up in the abdomen from the lumbar vertebrae and will pass down as a mass of muscle here, passing underneath the inguinal ligament and disappearing into the thigh. So i indicate here the upper margin of the serous muscle passing down in that way, and the lower margin which will follow the margin of the inlet and the pelvis. In other words, it's following the iliopectoneal line and will disappear through the uh, gap between the inguinal ligament and the superior ramus of the pubis. So let us rub out the iliopubic eminence here, and the iliac crest at the back, and just indicate the direction of the fibers of the serratus muscle. Well, having put the serratus along the brim of the pelvis, we can now bring down the common iliac artery in front of the sacroiliac joint, where it bifurcates into the external iliac artery which is going to run along the medial margin of the saris and disappear underneath the inguinal ligament where it will enter the thigh as the femoral artery. The only two important branches that one need remember are the uh, external iliac artery, giving off here the epigastric artery and the deep circumflex iliac artery, two branches which I'll just indicate in that way the uh, circumflex iliac artery, the deep circumflex iliac artery and the inferior epigastric arteries. So there is the external iliac artery running along the medial margin of the saris. Now, coming off the common iliac artery just in front of the sacroiliac joint is the internal iliac artery and that's turning down into the pelvis and will supply the pelvic walls and viscera of the pelvis. Well, at this point, we should start putting in the structures, the nervous structures that lie in the wall, the lateral wall of the pelvis. You may remember that coming down from the abdomen, we have the lumbosacral trunk. Now, the lumbosacral trunk passes down behind the common iliac artery, in front of the sacroiliac joint. It is formed by the anterior ramus of the fourth lumbar and the fifth lumbar nerves. the lumbosacral trunk. And it comes down here and joins up with the anterior ramus of the first sacral nerve, and then in turn it'll rejoin with the second sacral nerve, and then with the third. So we have L4, 5, S1, 2, and 3 forming a very large nerve here, known as the sciatic nerve, which will disappear from the pelvis very quickly by passing through the lower part here of the greater sciatic foramen. So there is the sciatic nerve disappearing through the lower part of the greater sciatic foramen beneath the lower margin of the piriformis and entering the gluteal region. Now also entering the pelvis in this region is a nerve which has emerged from the medial border of the psorias and is going to go down across the lateral wall of the pelvis pass through the obturator canal and enter the adductor compartment on the medial side of the thigh, the obturator nerve. The obturator nerve then runs down here and we see it disappearing through that canal.